Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome to a brand new podcast when I'll be chatting to David Potter in the first episode of Grand Old History. And we'll be looking at Celtic cult heroes. Well, David did write the book, didn't he? David. You're very welcome to what's hopefully going to be the first of a, I suppose, a history podcast, maybe a little different from some of the others. And the reason why we started this day, because we've we've had you in Celtic AM live, on, in the hot seat in Malone's. We've had you on um, the podcast. We've had you on twice. And we've also had you on, when we've done the Celtic AM shows, we had you on giving us a history lesson on the Scottish Cup and the Glasgow Derby. But, this hasn't even hasn't come out of any of that. What's come out is when we started to put up the long reads, because you've been writing for us for the fanzine for years and the website, but when we put, start putting up the long reads, although I don't think as many people were reading them as some short articles, but the feedback we were getting was much. And it was going into detail and people were speaking about their dads or... Yeah, um, you know, I remember we put up the one about Paddy Crair and then we got a great response to that and the Roy Aiken one. There's two that stick out because some of the older ones, people don't know, you know, they, they weren't around to see them. So they're just legendary pieces. But I think when it's some, and, and funny enough, the Henry Glassman and the Nakamura one didn't get the same kind of traffic and, and um, didn't catch the imagination like the Roy Aiken and the Paddy yeah, Crair yeah. one. But so it got me thinking. And I'm saying, right, David's agreed to come on the podcast and you know, go into the history of, of Celtic, and especially now with, with the season finished. So I dug out the book, the, the, the book you wrote, Celtic Cult Heroes. And I'm looking at it here. I'm just going to name out who you've selected for, for this magnificent book. Dan Doyle, Sandy McMahon, Jimmy Quinn, Jim Young, Joe Cassidy, Tommy McAnally, Jimmy McGrory, Peter Wilson, Bertie Thompson, Michael McDonald, Charlie Tully, Jock Steen, Paddy Crarant, John Yogi Hughes, Jimmy Johnson, Dixie Deans, Roy Aiken, Charlie Nicholas, Henry Glasson, 
and Shinsuke Nakamura. So that's the players you have on that, right? But so I looked up today. I looked up cult hero in the dictionary, and it says a write-up musician, artist, or other public figure who is greatly admired by a relatively small audience or is influential despite limited commercial success. And I said, well, that's definitely not the cult heroes in this book. But it did get me thinking of one cult hero who's not in the book. And I suppose you've got greatness in these books. These are some of these players, uh, you know, probably them all are magnificent players. And we'll get into many a great Celtic team. But I think back to Paddy McCourt, you know, a cult hero, a squad player, very talented, loved by the fans. We were all delighted to see him coming off the bench because of how talented he was and he could turn a game. But, like, we haven't had a song about him or a chant about him and he did get us up, but yeah, he won't go down anywhere near anyone in this book. And there's another one I think about because he obviously wrote the book around the time when Garden Strike and Zero was finished because there's no one after um, Shinsuke Nakamura and maybe, maybe nobody deserves to be in it after him because what a player he was but one omission for me is the holy goalie Arthur Burridge not only was he a brilliant brilliant player and probably the best goalkeeper I've ever seen David he was also a cult hero he was yeah. he may not have been the original holy goalie because John Fallon claims that but he was the holy goalie the fans loved him on and off yeah. the pitch yeah and yeah yeah. you, you admit him tell me why you admit my cult hero why, why, why made Arthur Burridge? I, I don't know. I mean, I um, I use the word cult hero very, very loosely. I think I would probably have defined it as somebody who had a special relationship with fans. I think that was uh, that was correct. Somebody who was and the one person I find, funnily enough, difficult to justify in my selection as a as a cult hero was, uh, of course, Jock Steen who was never a cult hero in anybody's uh, uh, sense when he was a player. He obviously, when he became a manager, he very immediately became a cult hero, but a lot more than a cult hero. But um, his playing career was not really just, would not justify um, the status of a cult hero. I think basically when I chose who I was going to choose, I just um, picked people that I wanted to write about. And um, that was uh, uh, that was possibly the criteria. The ones that I felt had, in some ways, made a significant contribution to Celtic history. And I think I would have to say that everyone that I chose did indeed have such a uh, make such a contribution to the history of the club. Yeah, because when I when I when I look at this list of players in front of me, when I look towards the sixties, I see Jimmy Johnson there. So obviously, Jinky, the entertainer, you know the greatest entertainer, you know, probably you've ever seen because you'd have to go back, you know, mm-hmm. the, the legendary players who, who we've spoken about before. But, but John Hughes doesn't spring into the mind from someone from my generation because because there were so many great players then. But Paddy Clarence, Paddy yeah. Clarence, like, he's the one that stuck out when I, when I look when I look at this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Buddy Clarend is in because quite simply, when I was a, a boy, um, age of 12 or 13 or 14, I mean, Buddy Clarend was just my hero and I wouldn't admit of anyone else. Uh, I uh, I just thought he was a great player through season 1961 to 1962. He was absolutely superb, I thought uh, Buddy was. He had also played very well 
in the 1961 Scottish Cup final against Infernal, the time that we couldn't get a, uh, a goal past uh, Eddie Conaghan. But uh, Pat Crern was absolutely magnificent. And throughout that season, 61 to 62, and you always felt that with Pat Crern in your team, you really could go places. And of course, when he did go places, as it were, uh, in the wrong direction to Manchester United uh, in February 1963, I remember being absolutely devastated. I remember tearing his pictures down uh, off my wall, and I was so upset that Pat Crern had actually left Celtic. I've since discovered there were maybe very good reasons why he would leave Celtic, and to be frank, from an objective point of view, Celtic in 1963, there wasn't really very much going for them, uh, as it turned out. Uh, but still, I felt the feelings of desertion and betrayal and so on, because Pat Crerand was really such a good player. And even after that, when he played for Scotland, uh, I couldn't identify with him because he was no longer uh, a Celtic player. And I, I positively wanted Manchester United to get beat uh, simply because I didn't want um, uh, Pat Crerand to profit by his treasonous betrayal of, uh, of Celtic Football Club. In the same way, I have to say that last Saturday night, I think it was, I nurtured a certain unusual uh, love for Chelsea. Chelsea is a team I usually cannot stand, but I really didn't want to see Brendan Rodgers win the English Cup because he had abandoned us. You know, and, uh, I don't like seeing people doing that. And of course, I never go over Kenny Dalglish, who left us and won European Cups galore. But that is, um, <laughs> that's one of the things about me, that just me. <laughs> Kenny doesn't make it into the book. No, no. I think um, there was enough uh, said about uh, uh, Kenny Dalglish uh, uh, elsewhere. I mean, it's self-evident he was such a he was such a great football player. In the same way as I don't think Bobby Murdoch appears there because it was so obvious that Bobby Murdoch was a good player. I mean, Bobby Murdoch probably replaced Pat Crerand as my hero. Uh, but I felt that, you know, so much has been said about Bobby Murdoch, not least by myself, that uh, I felt that he could do a back seat here. But that does not in any way denigrate uh, Bobby Murdoch as a player. I'll, I'll be convinced that he actually, if anything, uh, was more uh, more responsible for the European Cup triumph than even Jimmy Johnson was. Jimmy Johnson was by far uh, the best player in the, in the country at that time, possibly even the best in the world. Uh, but Jimmy had so many bad games. Bobby Murdoch never had a bad game. But Jimmy Johnson was more of a cult hero, simply because fans were willing to pay money at turnstiles, especially to go and see wee Jimmy. And maybe that is something of a cult hero, some of my definition of a cult hero, if you feel that fans would go to see a man, especially to see him. You know, that maybe makes him a cult hero, perhaps. Yeah, and I, I think as, as when, you, when you're a neutral fan of, uh, if you're not a Celtic supporter, I know people that came with us over the years and they went to see Henry Glasson. Mm-hmm. You know, they wanted to see Henry. And, and even... If you move forward down to the last player you name in it, which is Nakamura, Nakamura brought the, brought did bring a cult because he brought Japanese people to the game, people mm-hmm. were traveling, and mm-hmm. I I didn't know much about him when he was in Italy, but I have, I have a really good pal Baz, and he was living in Japan. He's married to a Japanese girl, so I, I contacted him and I said, "Look, who's this?" And he said, "This guy is the best player in Japan." He says mm-hmm. they, they talk about others, you know, there's 
you know, but he says, as, as a footballer, this guy is, is, is the best out there. And he said, you're going to really enjoy him. And I remember the yeah. first day I was in the North Stand when he made his debut and he was, he was excellent that day. And yeah. I, yeah. He, like, he, like, you know, scoring against Rangers is always a big thing, but like, some of the goals he scored and the free kicks against Man United. So he, he fits into, he fits the mold. He was a hero. He was a brilliant player. And he had, there was a cult about him as well. I think yeah. someone named it the cult of Naka, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, um, in the same way as I would have to say that Henrik Larsson probably brought a lot of Swedish players to Swedish spectators rather, uh, who happened to be in Scotland who would go along and see Henrik Larsson, you know. And yeah. uh, certainly uh, you saw loads of Japanese people with green white scarves at the uh, uh, games when Nakamura was playing. That's correct. Yeah, and, and, and you mentioned Henrik Dell. Like, Henrik is the, the modern day hero, I think. Mm-hmm. Even. Even if there's younger uh, listeners or, or people watch tuning into this, they'll they'll know of Henrik because Henrik is yeah. is yeah. just such, and like you look at you, like he he was named in that greatest ever eleven team, and you look mm-hmm. at and McStay is in it and Dalglish is in it, but then it's it, it, you know it, it's it's littered with the Lisbon Lions mm-hmm. that that era that that greatness, and but he. He stands out in any team. And what he done when he left Celtic, you know, all the years of service he gave us, almost, we almost, you know, won a European, you wave a cup with him. And then he goes off and he plays in the Premier League. But I think when he come off the bench in Barcelona and he turns that game against, around against Arsenal, you just see how lucky we were and how, how great he was. Yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Well, I'll always remember about my particular thing I remember about Henrik Larsson was his ability to score a goal from the most impossible of positions. You know, getting the ball with his back to the goal, uh, you know, just in the penalty box and no more, and being able to turn around and score. You know, he just had that ability, and he scored loads of goals like that. But he had everything else. He was a great team man. He was fast enough. He could run onto the ball. And you knew that when he ran on on a one-to-one against the goalkeeper, the chances were he was going to score. You yeah, know, so yeah. many of them just blast the ball against the goalkeeper, but you just knew that uh, Henrik Larsson would do. I, I remember the 2004 Scottish Cup final uh, against Dunfermline, uh, where he ran on to a ball. And what I remember with that was you heard all the seats tipping up because everybody stood up in the North Stand at Hamden, you know, and you heard click, 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 there's all the seats standing up just to see him. And you just knew he was going to score, you know. It was it was it was a brilliant period. Um obviously he came in Wim, you know, stopped stop the ten with Wim, but under under O'Neill, obviously he had the he had the leg break and came came back at the end of that season. Mm-hmm. But under O'Neill, we just saw this. And I think I think O'Neill partnered them with with players that complimented them as well. Big mm-hmm. strong centre halves that could as you say he could knock a ball down to him in the box. I remember one day that um, I think it was Dundee United in the semi-finals of the Cup in Hamden. Uh-huh. 
and he bent his head. He, he, yeah. If memory serves me right, he bent his body and his head around to score a header around the defender. Yeah. And it's one that doesn't get shown a lot, but it's one that sticks out in my memory. Uh, I'm, uh, mine as well was a bullet header as well. You know, it was fast and he, he bent down as you say. And it was a, I was scored in uh, Mount Florida end of the go- uh, game. Is that right? It was indeed. Yeah. yeah. Towards the end of the first half, if I remember correctly. I, I, I can't remember the time, but I just remember. I just remember uh, the goal. Thinking, how did you do that? I know he was just. He was just in, Absolutely brilliant player. Just no other way of putting it, you know. He was now, now, before we go back, right? Charlie Nicholas, the first time around when yeah, he was yeah. when he was at his height, was actually before my time. Because yeah. my time, my time starting to take an interest in Celtic was centenary season, but it wasn't until the following season that I went to mm-hmm. see him in the flesh. So Charlie or Champagne Charlie, he was known that he's not um He's not universally liked within the Celtic support, but That's yeah, That's putting it mildly. Yeah, and I probably saw him at the end of his career. Yeah. So, yeah. just you know, for for people of my vintage, fifty year olds who maybe didn't go to see Celtic, who went who weren't born into Celtic, just put it that way. It was in my late teens that I started to travel to Glasgow. How good was Nicholas? Very good, very good. Season um, 1980 to um, 81 and uh, 81 to 82, uh, although he broke his leg at that point uh, uh, there, uh, you just saw he was a splendid player, a splendid player. You'll have seen frequently the goal that he scored in the League Cup final of December 1982 in the rain against Rangers. I mean, that was really uh, quite a difficult goal to score. It looked quite easy because he made it easy. Um, I think he was a he was a tremendous player. Was uh, was Charlie Nicholas? He had the ability to uh, get the ball, uh, you know, on his left side, quickly transfer it to his right, and uh, in a matter of, uh, of seconds, uh, deliver a perfect defence splitting pass to someone else. He was uh, he had that sort of ability. He had that cheekiness, the the jauntiness. He could score himself. He was much loved by the uh, supporters uh, while he was still playing for us um, by the way that he would score goals and run to them. And he ran with that way with his knees up uh, after he'd scored a goal, particularly one at uh, Ibrox, I remember, into the uh, Celtic end at Ibrox. I think it was one New Year's Day where he got the ball on, a, on his left foot, just transferred it quickly to the right foot and scored. And it all happened like that. And um, for reasons like that, I think Nicholas was just a, a, a really great player. And I would have to say as well that, um, I mean, when he did go to Arsenal, obviously, I had the same feelings about him uh, going to Arsenal as I did about <laughs> Pat Crern going to Manchester United 20 years previously. But Pat Crern played well for Manchester United. I think that, I think Charlie Nicholas died as it were, the great player called Charlie Nicholas died in 1983 when he left Celtic Park. I don't think he ever played nearly as well for Arsenal as he did for Celtic. And when he came back to uh, Celtic after he'd been to Aberdeen, uh, he was just an, an ordinary player, if that. I mean, I didn't rate him at all very highly um, in the 1990s. But have you seen Charlie Nicholas in uh, these three years uh, that he was with us in the early 80s, you really saw a tremendous player, so much so that my father, who was still alive at the time, almost compared them with Patsy Gallagher. 
almost, not quite. He didn't quite go as far as to say that he was as good as uh, um, Patsy Gallagher, but he said he's in the same sort of mould. And he said he's one of the best I've ever seen. And he thought he was far better than the likes of Pele and uh, um, what do you call it, Argentinian Maradona and people like that. He, he really had a tremendous uh, two or three years for, for, uh, for Celtic. Uh, the first of these seasons in particular, 1980 to 81, until uh, New Year 1980 to 81, Celtic had not had a good season. Uh, and I think, if I remember rightly, between Christmas and New Year 1980, they lost 4-1 to Aberdeen up at Pataudry. And frankly, it should have been a lot more than that. But then suddenly, uh, I think New Year's Day fixture was at Kilmarnock, and um, they scored and early on, and they won that game. And from then on, there was nothing that could stop them. They were just tremendous that second half of the 1980-81 season. Not a lot of people uh, appreciate how good they actually were. It was during that season, for example, they beat St Mirren 7-1 one day in the spring. Uh, and, and they were really a tremendous team. Tremendous team. And then it uh, all came from Charlie Nicholas, who inspired them. And you mentioned you mentioned you mentioned David, your dad, um, who who we spoke about before, and some of the memories that he'd shared with you, um, uh-huh. um, over over the years. But he he would have seen some of these players in this book. Oh yes, he would have seen some of these players. So you 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 are taking it. You are taking their cult status and how highly they regarded from actual a real story. Not not you don't have to go back. History. Yeah, so yeah. who who yeah. did who did he who did he talk about? Well, Patsy Gallagher, who I don't think is in my book because I've already written enough about him. Kind of, I felt the same way as I had about uh, Bobby Murdoch that enough had been said about him. But uh, he also had a very very high regard for Tommy McAnally. Now, Tommy McAnally, of course, was uh, uh, was a bad boy. Uh, Tommy did not do the line of Willie Mealy, the dictatorial line of Willie Mealy, in the way that uh, previous players had done. But uh, my dad would always say that McAnally had uh, as much ability as Patsy Gallagher had. Uh, that he was a great player. He had uh, a and he, uh, in, in addition to his ball skills, he also had a tremendous shot. McAnally started off as a centre-forward and he was a great one and um, he started off in the 1919 season, 1919 the 1920 season, started off with a bang and everybody thought what a great player uh, Tommy McAnally is. And, and, and of course he was, but uh, unfortunately he found it difficult to, to toe the line and by 1922 he was away to uh, Third Lanark, he came back again, he was pining for home, as Willie Mealy would say, came back in 1925, led them to the 1925-26 uh, Scottish League, uh, and it was from McAnally who was leading from the front, and um, uh, then he had a good season in 27, but in 28, probably one of the reasons why we lost 4-0 to Rangers in that Scottish Cup final, that famous Scottish Cup final of 1928, that infamous Scottish Cup final of 1928, was because uh, McAnally wasn't behaving himself. You know, had he towed the line, had he behaved himself, had he not gone missing as he did on at least two or three occasions that year, it might have been a different story and Rangers might still have been waiting for their uh, Scottish Cup, which they eventually won after 25 years in 1928. When you, say, when you say go missing, yep. I'm missing I mean. on the pitch or missing off the pitch? 
Oh, missing off the pitch, missing off the pitch. They, they played the Scottish Cup game up at Keith in the Highlands and McAnally just disappeared and made his own way back to Glasgow a couple of days later. I mean, they just had to go without him. Now, presumably, one assumes it was something to do with a lady, uh, you'd imagine, but uh, who knows? Uh, and uh, uh, another time, he just disappeared from training from Seamale Hydro. The, uh, the players played a trick on him. They uh, phoned him up, uh, as you could, and they pretended to be somebody from a, from a newspaper and asked them questions, and then they started to giggle and laugh at him and so on, and he heard them from the next booth. They were phoning from one booth to the other, uh, and uh, he took the huff of this and just walked out. And that was Tommy McAnally, I'm afraid, you know, he was, uh, which was a shame because he was such a great player. And is there anyone else, as I look through this book, especially names that from from yesteryear, is there anyone else that had that kind of genius player but off the pitch? Um, there were a few. There were a few who were uh, uh, not quite so good as McAnally. Uh, in fact, there were several people in the, um, in the 1920s, like uh, Jock Gilchrist, the right half, 1920s, uh, Willie Kringen, or Kringen as he's pronounced sometimes, uh, he fell out with Mealy as well. Uh, and to what extent it was falling out with Mealy because Mealy was dictator, and to what extent it was not being able to cope with uh, uh, the limelight and so on, we don't know. But there were certainly quite a few players uh, of whom that could be said. And I've always said that to be a good player, to be a good professional, you really have to be totally dedicated. You really have to uh, accept discipline. You've got to be a good team man. You can't be too good for the rest of your team. That just, just wouldn't work, you know, even though it might in some ways help to make you a cult hero. You know, I mean, uh, with the, to move forward again to the 1960s, I mean, Jimmy Johnson had his moments. Jimmy Johnson certainly had his moments. He certainly fell out with Jock Steen on many, many occasions. But as somebody said about, I think it was Bobby Lennox may have said about uh, Jimmy Johnson, that we Jimmy, he wasn't a daft, although he did occasionally do daft things. You know, he had his moments, but generally speaking, he was a, he, he was a team man. He was a Celtic man. He was born, born and bred Celtic, and, and that helps as well. You know, if you're uh, if you're brought up Celtic, um, it helps without a shadow of a doubt. And you you saw you saw Jimmy in the flesh. Oh yes, yeah, yeah. And you mentioned you mentioned Bobby Moore. You, you wrote Bobby's book, an excellent book it is too. Um, but Jimmy on the oh. pitch, oh. <laughs> on his day. On his, on his day, I would qualify on his day. If, if Jimmy if Jimmy didn't have a good first half. He tended not to have a good second half either. You know, his confidence had gone. Now, Jock Steen worked on that, and occasionally Jock was able to pick him up after a poor first half and make him a you know a good second half player. Occasionally that happened, but so often before Jock arrived, you know, you just knew that Jimmy was you know he wasn't going to do it for the other day. Uh, he just had a he just had a, um, a lack of confidence in some ways. But uh, on his game, oh, the way he could... Uh, uh, and what I really liked about Jimmy, apart from anything else, was he didn't lack courage. 
I mean, he'd be chopped down by somebody, uh, some Czechoslovak defender or some Argentinian defender or even our own pal John Gregg from Rangers, who was nothing like as bad as the Continentals, incidentally. John was, wasn't, a, wasn't a too bad a player in that respect compared to others. And Jimmy would get chopped down, chopped down, and he got the ball again, and he would run back at the same players, expecting the same treatment, and he frequently got it. But he certainly did not lack courage. He was, uh, um, oh, was a great wee player, was Jimmy, to watch. And, and there was a buzz that went around Celtic Park or Hamden whenever he got the ball. And he, he was so instantly recognised with his red hair, of course. You know, and uh, wee Jimmy, wee Jimmy, uh, wee Jimmy, you know, wee Jimmy, you know. I had, I had the pleasure of um, interviewing Agnes. We had a Jimmy Johnson special a, a day before we played Rangers. Um, on the roof of Malone's, it was March. The weather was nice. They had, the, they had, the, the, it was dry, and we had it up, and it was brilliant. And we had the Jimmy Johnson Academy in. We had Agnes and George McClusky came along, and obviously he he had a lot of stories because Jimmy was older than him, and I think they used to use him as a chauffeur to go fishing. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they shared some. But Agnes shared some wonderful stories. You know, like people look at Jimmy as this. You know this magnificent Celtic hero but Agnes brought it down to you know a villain you know and losing his teeth and having to go out and look for his teeth and different stories she told us she took it you know she brought us back to the, to, to the person rather than than the, the image we have of this great player yeah, 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 you, yeah. Went, you went with us that day so can you paint a picture for us of just take us back to a moment that you watched Jimmy a game or, or or something something you remember that really sticks out. Um, I think that um, the the game that I remember the best uh, was the one um, where well, there's a lot of legends grew up about this one, which weren't necessarily the case. But uh, when they played Red Star Belgrade and uh, the one five one. Jimmy was absolutely splendid. He and Bobby Murdoch just ripped that team. And apparently the agreement had been that if there were more than three or four goals up, he wouldn't need to go to Belgrade because Jimmy had this fear of flying, which incidentally didn't, didn't always go down very well with supporters or with his uh, teammates, because in the 1960s, I mean, everybody remembered what happened to Manchester United in 1958, and there was a certain general fear of flying then, which maybe, I don't know, maybe society, maybe the airplanes are better now, but but, uh, people did have a fear of flying, and somehow or another, uh, the fact that Jimmy was able to, um, you know, by his... uh, um, playing ability, there was special cases were made for him, a special allowance was made for him. And of course, uh, Big Jock did that several times with, with Jimmy because Jock realised that Jimmy, there were times when you had to go the extra mile for him. But certainly that night against Red Star, he was absolutely uh, splendid that night. And uh, I do remember him ripping through the team, you know, and, and as I say, getting the ball and uh, at one point standing and looking around as if to say, what am I going to do with it this time? What am I going to do with it? I can either put it that way or I can put it that way and so on. And then somebody would come and tackle him, a big brutal tackle, and Jimmy would have passed it to somebody else. Uh, he was like, yeah. the, um, the other thing I remember about Jimmy was a, a rather funny uh, story, This which didn't really involve Jimmy at all. But um, the, 
it wasn't exactly his debut that he made in the 1963 Scottish Cup final, uh, the first game, uh, but it was one of his his first, maybe his third game perhaps, I can't remember exactly, but uh, everybody was talking about the wee redhead. And uh, the week after the Scottish Cup final, between the Scottish Cup final and the replay, Celtic played at Tannadice Park, Dundee, and uh, they had a mascot with them. And the mascot was a wee guy, you know, three-year-old with red hair. And he came out, Bill McNeil was holding his hand, or maybe it was Donkey Mackay, I can't remember. But anyway, the captain came out holding his hand and uh, everybody said, it's that wee Jimmy, is he a small <laughs> <soft lad?" laughs> But then later on, you know, further back, you saw Jimmy coming out, you know, and he was small, but he was a wee bit bigger. <laughs> a wee boy with red hair, I remember that. <laughs> oh, my God. And, and, and I have two questions for you, right? When Jimmy wouldn't be playing, if he was injured mm-hmm. or, because obviously he was, you know, there were certain players in that team, see, every week it picked itself. Yeah, yeah. And then there was competition for a number of other places. Who 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 came in for Jimmy when he wasn't playing? That's one question. Uh huh. Um, well, generally they just rejigged the forward line. Uh, Steve Chalmers tended to be a right winger. Steve Chalmers was often put there. He was the one that you would say that if you were uh, uh, that replaced them when he, when he had to. But but uh, often it was um, by this time of the late sixties. The game was changing a wee bit anyway, and there wasn't a really a rigid position of right winger. You know, it was more. It was evolving to the four-two-four idea, which had been, you know, throughout the mid-60s. Uh, and so uh, you couldn't really say who it was that would, uh, that would, that would cover for Jimmy. But if anybody, it would be, uh, it would be Steve Chalmers. Um, he, was, he, was, he was injured quite a lot, was Jimmy. And uh, he had these, as I say, these moments. And, and of course, um, the people who complained that he only got, I think it was 23 Scotland caps when he deserved more, uh, tended to, uh, tend to omit the truth that uh, there were times when Jimmy was chosen and because it was an away fixture, he didn't want to travel and he managed some or another to wangle his way out of it. Uh, that was certainly true of Jimmy for as far as Scotland International is concerned. But, um, yeah, yeah. In, in modern times, um, I think Dennis Bergkamp didn't fly. That's right. That's right. I think, I think yeah, if yeah. it was a game that he could reach on the continent by car, that's the way he travelled. But if it was if it was too far, he just didn't go. Uh-huh, uh-huh, which which uh-huh. is which is kind of it's, it, it sounds mad that it people. Does. But but if it's obviously it was in his contract. Now, uh-huh. when Jimmy when Jimmy leaves leaves um, Celtic, who replaces him? I suppose he left in about nineteen seventy five, sort of time. I suppose that would have to be on the right way. I suppose it would be in Johnny Doyle, is, uh, perhaps Johnny Doyle. Another, 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 another real hero. Later. Who, John Doyle? Another really cold hero. Yeah, because I, yeah. I'm, sta- I'm starting to um, the book that's been, been wrote about him at the moment. Um, I'm starting to get glimpses of that, and people are. You know, talking with that Paul, Paul McQuaid from from the Shamrock is, is writing that book, and I know he he's I think it's Joanna is Johnny's daughter, and he's spoken to George McCluskey, he's spoken to a good few, and it's 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 one I'm looking forward to. And um, oh my, yes, indeed, yeah. be, be, because when 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 I think of um, like if you think of Johnny, like you know, 
a cult hero, the local hero. You yes. know, he, he was like the stories I'm hearing, he was just Celtic daft. He was one of us. Yeah. He just was he was just on the pitch. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yes. But so many of them are really just uh, fans who've been good enough to be allowed to play. I mean, Tommy Burns would say that about himself as well. He's just a Celtic fan. He was lucky to, uh, you know, have a chance to live the dream. And, yeah. uh, and and that counts for an awful lot as well. It really does. Uh, I mean, it's something that really should be addressed in the modern era as well. I mean, uh, we know what's gone wrong. Well, one of the things that may have gone wrong this year is that a lot of people, a lot of players weren't really committed to the club. Well, I mean, the new manager, whoever he may be, and whenever he may be appointed, uh, will really have to uh, address this question do you really want to play for the club? I'm not saying do you really have to be born and bred Celtic daft. That's not quite the same thing. Uh, but what is important is that for the uh, terms of your contract, are you prepared to die for Celtic? And like O'Neill, Martin O'Neill in particular, was able to get players who weren't Celtic born and bred. <laughs> he was able to get players to come in and buy into it. And, and you know, you think of Alan Thompson, John Harrison, Chris Sutton. Yeah, yeah. All, all men that come up and crossed over the border. But yeah. yeah. And and they've kind of left. They've they they they're still fans. I've interviewed yeah. all them boys, and they still speak. It's it's us and them, and it's we. And so yeah. So, yeah. so, and you you you're, you're dead right when you say this season because you know, there was a lot of them players, and it it didn't. You know, it obviously didn't mean as much to them as it did to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, for whatever reason, we, we've yeah. you know. We could spend an episode just going over every week of last yeah, season. Yes, yes, it's just yeah, something yeah. I want to null and void and put to the back of my mind, David. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just looking at this here, okay? Because there's so many, many names, and like, take us back to to the first, the first cult hero in this book, Dan Doyle. Ah, yes, 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 yes. Um, well, there's um, there's an excellent book written about uh, Dan Doyle. I think it's called The Life and Death of a Wild Rover, uh, written by uh, a lady called Marie, whose second name I've forgotten. Uh, Marie, I know her very well, too, because uh, Marie Kelly... Anyway, anyway um, it's, a, it's a lovely book on John Doyle. Um, sorry, on Dan Doyle. And he really was uh, a Celtic man uh, although he was a wild boy too, he had his moments uh, uh, when he played for uh, for Everton and so on. But it was uh, it was for um, uh, Celtic that he played his best football, and uh, so much so that I uh, I remember reading a report. Uh, in a, a local newspaper of the uh, uh, first time that Celtic ever came to play Wraith Rovers in Kirkcaldy, and the newspaper reporter referred to him as Dan. He just said Dan because everybody knew who Dan Doyle was. He was such a famous character and he'd done such a lot for the club and uh, for for Scotland as well because he played for he played for Scotland. So, um, uh, but that was Dan. And he came to, he died young, as quite a lot of them do, uh, did. But he certainly made his mark uh, for Celtic, Dan Doyle. Yeah, that, that, like, that seems to be, you say, he died young. I, I've read quite a lot of your books, David, especially the ones on the earlier players. And 
yeah, the, the longevity isn't, and you've often wrote pieces for for the fanzine as well on, on the website. And you know, the longevity of some of the lives of these players is, you know, the, oh, oh, some of them, some of them lived a long time, but generally, like, it seems to be a lot of them, they died of various things. And like, I'm always amazed when I read of like, <laughs> obviously, some you know contracted disease or you know they got this or. And then mm-hmm. there's freak freak accidents, and it's just, you know it, it's I know what happens in, in life, and obviously the back then, um, back in the day, I suppose you know the, people didn't live as long anyway as they do now. But mm-hmm. it, it it seemed to be, and if they were, if they were doing back then young, then the one now that seems to be is a lot of the players are doing the dying of dementia. A lot of players are getting dementia, mm-hmm. and that, that seems to be one. And yeah. these ball, they, these boys must have been, you know, they were they were they would have been heading heavy balls back in, in the day as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, I tend to think this is this is correct. I think there is a point here about uh, heading um, heavy balls. I think that uh, a part of the problem is that um, football as a career, both you know, a hundred years ago and now. Uh, is something that is so all-encompassing. And when it suddenly stops, you know, other things happen in your life. Like, for example, with the best will in the world, you stop training as much as you would. And perhaps you begin to indulge in alcohol more than you would. You begin to eat a wee bit more uh, than you would. And all these things have an effect on you because you've been so high Tone, you've been so well uh, trained, you've been so um, uh, so fit up to that point, and then suddenly you stop being fit, and I th- think that does make quite a difference uh, to players, both in the ancient world and uh, and now. By the ancient world, I just mean 100, 150 years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Romans and the Greeks, yeah. <laughs> and Dave, Dave, if you what we're talking about. Yesteryear, if you could go back, you, when I look at this book, um, okay, Paddy Crowen was your first hero as 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 a you know youngster. Did did you see Charlie Tully or Steen play, or, or were you too young? I was just too young to see uh, Charlie Tully and Steen. I think I saw. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I'm wrong. I saw Willie Fernie playing and Bobby Evans playing, but I didn't see Charlie Tully in my first game at Dundee in 1959. I didn't see Charlie Tully and I never saw Jock Steen play, I'm afraid, which is a shame. But, uh, I've heard all about them. So you, so I'm just going to call you out. So you're seeing Paddy Crerant, Yogi Hughes, Jimmy Johnson, Dixie Danes, Roy Aiken, Charlie Nicholas, Henry Glasson, and Shinsuke Nakamura. So then going backwards... From Jock back right back to Dan Doyle, if you could pick one of them players and you could go and watch them in a game, who would it be? Well, funnily enough, the one. Uh, oh, I mean, it's a it's a it's a great choice that one. I would uh, I could I would want to see every one of them, but one <laughs> person I would like to see would be Malcolm McDonald. Malcolm McDonald, who played in the uh, Empire Exhibition uh, trophy side. And um, I just to see how good he was, because everybody who has ever uh, seen him told me how good he was. And it's, uh, he's well written about as well. And uh, there's a great quote from Jimmy Delaney. Somebody said to Jimmy Delaney, 
Um, are you the best? The, people say that you're the best player in the Celtic team. And uh, Jimmy Delaney says, no, I can't be. How could I be the best player in the Celtic team when Malcolm McDonald's there? And I would have loved to have seen just how good Malcolm McDonald was. Unfortunately, Malcolm McDonald, his career was ruined by the Second World War, which, uh, uh, you know, would have been a, a better player if he'd been able to play at the top level uh, all, his, uh, all his career. But uh, he certainly seemed to have had a great effect on them in 1938. And uh, Malcolm McDonald, sometimes called Callum. He became manager of uh, uh, Kilmarnock and Brentford as well. Uh, I believe that was Malcolm McDonald. But, but I would also uh, really like to have seen, I think, uh, well, obviously Tommy McAnally and uh, Sonny Jim. Sonny Jim Young is a man that I, uh, I really um, identify with uh, in a way, uh, simply because the, the general consensus is that uh, he maybe wasn't the most silky of players um, uh, Jim Young. He got he only had two caps for Scotland when other members of that team were capped a lot oftener. But uh, he just seems to have been totally dedicated, a wee bit like Scott Brown in a way. Again, from a, a not the particularly uh, Celtic orientated background, but immediately became a Celt once he joined. You know, and his famous uh, war cry of uh, "Face the ball, Celts!" and a corner kick. Tack a man a piece. None of this zonal marking nonsense you get. Tack a man a piece. Just take one each. You know, make sure it's your job to make sure he doesn't score. It's your job to make sure he doesn't score, you know? And uh, uh, simple stuff in a way. And uh, I just I just like, I would like to see um, Sonny Jim and why he was called Sonny Jim and how, how much loved he was by the supporters and of course poor Sonny Jim had an early death as well in a motorbike accident in, in, in 1922 but uh, uh, no, to ask the question who, who would uh, like to say I mean what about Jimmy Quinn oh I'd love to see Jimmy Quinn love to see Jimmy Quinn bustling through you know the, uh, the bison you know we'd love to see that 94 Scottish Cup final Jimmy McGrory Heavens, I mean, some of the goals that my father used to uh, tell me about, I would love to see them. You know, again, I would like to see how good he really was. In the case of Jimmy McGrory, I think he really was good. I mean, the figures speak for themselves. Oh, yeah, I can't argue. And so I'm, I'm, right, I'm going to, like, we'll, we'll probably touch hopefully on some of these players again as, as the history um, pod. Yeah, 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 yeah. Grows, but I, 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 I think it's great that we we kind of we only really dipped into, into these people. So we we spoke with Dan Doyle, Sandy McMahon, the Duke. Yeah, the Duke. Yeah, yeah. Come on, give give us give, give us a brief, give us a little brief on, on Sandy. We'll do a brief on whoever we didn't cover before we finish up for the list. It's called it's called the Prince of Dribblers, apart from anything else. And he was the one thing that Celtic really must have, and that is a personality goal scorer. He was the first personality goal scorer uh, that we had. He was followed, of course, by Jimmy Quinn and uh, Jimmy McGrory. Uh, and we've had, uh, obviously, Henrik Larsson. Funnily enough, the Lisbon Lions didn't have anyone that you'd say was a personality goal scorer. Uh, but uh, of that list of Celtic goal scorers, uh, Sandy McMahon was was certainly the 
uh, first. And he wasn't called the Duke for nothing. Why he was called the Duke, we don't know. Some people thought he looked vaguely like the Duke of Wellington. Uh, another one said it was because of uh, there was a Duke de MacMahon in uh, 1871 French Commune or something like that. And uh, they thought that, uh, you know, he became president of the French Republic. And uh, uh, that was maybe why he was called, called that. We, we don't know. But certainly he was a great character, was, uh, was Sandy McMahon. And you noticed when he was injured. He got injured quite a lot. And when Sandy wasn't playing, the team struggled. For example, the Arthurly disaster of 1897, when Celtic lost 4-2 to uh, Arthurley, who were a junior side, um, in early January 1897. There was all sorts of things uh, going wrong at Celtic, and they deserved to lose that one. But the significant thing was that Sandy McMahon was injured. He was out. He'd been out for about a month. And he wasn't there to calm everybody down, to bring a sense of, of um, uh, you know, a piece of common sense to the proceedings. And um, uh, they certainly missed him from that point of view. Um, before I leave it with personality goal scorers, one of my cult heroes might have been a, a, a personality goal scorer. And I'm talking about Yogi Bear. I'm talking about John Hughes. Who's in the book. Who's in the book, yes. He's, he's in the book. John could have been uh, that. In, and he could take some tremendous goals. He could be a tremendous player. But... He was dreadfully inconsistent. And like, as I said earlier about Jimmy Johnson, that if you didn't get a good first half out of John Hughes, you usually didn't get a good second half either, simply because he'd lost confidence in himself. If he got off to a good start and if he scored an early goal, he was probably, he could have been the best player in the world. I can, I can mention about three goals, one in particular at Dens Park in Dundee in 1965, where he beat the Dundee fullback, Alec Hamilton, uh, who had played for Scotland, good player. He beat him on the touchline and he charged across the field. Still 30 yards away from the goal, he ran parallel to the goal. And suddenly, when nobody expected it, he just fired and scored. It was a tremendous goal. I don't think it's televised. I've never seen it uh, on television. I can't remember whether it was, whether it was televised that night. I'm not, I don't remember. I uh, haven't seen it. But that was a qualified Celtic from the League Cup sectional onto the quarterfinals. And it was a great goal scored by Yogi Bear, by John Hughes. On the other hand, there was nobody that divided the Celtic support like John Hughes did, because he could have some terrible games. Brilliant or terrible. Very seldom would you say something like, Hughes was good enough. He was either very good or very bad. And I was always sorry for him in a way, because the supporters turned on him. They also turned on Steve Chalmers, incidentally, in a way that I didn't like either. But they could turn on John Hughes, because I think they felt that he could do a lot better. He could do a lot better, and um, I was a, he, he, he was yes, he could be a great player. Could John Hughes? I think we saw that this season as well, or the season just passed, David, where where Eddie, because we all know the talent Eddie is. But oh yes, yes, we, yeah. we, we just didn't see it this year. Uh, I didn't see it often enough. I mean, uh, you could see that of El Yunusi as well. You know, you just didn't see it often enough. You need to see it every week, basically. Yeah. Yeah, you see yeah. every week. I, I, oh, here I'm, I'm looking here now, and just one of the sticks that we haven't mentioned is Dixie Danes. 
Oh, yes, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, I love Dixie. Oh, yes, yes, I love him. He was, he, was he was a great goal scorer. He was a personality goal scorer as well. Immediate rapport with the fans. He was brought in uh, after that awful League Cup final defeat to Partick Thistle in 1970. Uh, sorry, 1971. And uh, then, of course, he had the, the major blow to his confidence that it could have been when um, in uh, a European Cup semi-final against Inter Milan when he was the only one who missed a penalty in the penalty shootout in 19, Ma, uh, April 1972, the semi-final. Uh, and, of course, the idiots booed him for that, which was, which was unfair. But he shut them up two weeks later when he scored his hat-trick in the Scottish Cup final uh, against Hibs when we beat Hibs uh, uh, 6-1. Uh, 6-1, yes. And uh, uh, he was reputed to have said uh, Billy McNeil, whom he shared a room with, he said, I think I'm going to score a hat-trick tomorrow and if I do so, I'll do a somersault on the pitch. And he did score a hat-trick and he did do a somersault on the pitch. And that was Dixie Dean's, and he always, always scored against Hibs. He used to joke he didn't like the green jersey and things, things like that. But uh, uh, he was a great player, was Dixie Dean's, and, and much loved by the the fans. They, they saw in Dixie Dean's uh, one of themselves. You know, a man who would uh, do anything for the club and who could, of course, uh, produce the goods. And he, he was playing, admittedly, for a good team. He'd loads of chances to score the goals but he, he was able to do so he teamed up very well with Douglas. I'm sure Douglas owes Deans quite a lot because so often you would look at the scores in the paper or something you saw who scored the goals you'd see Deans there and Douglas there Wow I mean, it's, the names your name dropping there well, I'm, I'm jealous of all these players and all these games so I'm looking at one side of the book I think we've covered everyone now um, Jock Jockstein you know, a legendary manager, but have you got him in the book for his time as manager or his time as player? Well, as I think I said, I think I said earlier that I couldn't really justify him being a cult hero um, as a player. He was a stopgap centre half, a very good stopgap centre half, and uh, uh, he deserves a lot of credit for the Coronation Cup. Final. Most of the credit is given to goalkeeper Johnny Bonner uh, that particular night, but Steen played just as well because it was his job to team Laurie Riley, who was Hibbs' famous centre forward, and Jock did that job brilliantly. So Jock deserves an awful lot of credit for that. But more than anything else, it was fairly, it was obvious fairly early on that Jock Steen was a good leader. And he led Celtic to the league and cup uh, double of 1954. Uh, and, but for a very unfortunate ankle injury, he could have done uh, an awful lot more for the club. But uh, no, I couldn't really justify him as a, as a cult hero because he was a stopgap centre-half. As he himself said, he was a passable centre-half. And he said that quite, you know, ambiguously, quite deliberately, a passable say you could run past it, you know, if you wanted. And he, he was never capped for Scotland. He had one uh, cap for the Scottish League. And if I remember rightly, I think they got beat 4-1 from the English League. So he was never, uh, he was never considered to be that good. He was never a, a polished centre-half in the way that uh, Evans, for example, became one, or that Billy McNeil obviously was a polished centre-half. He was a, a, a moderate player, but a tremendous leader 
And uh, as we know, well, he was uh, he became not a bad manager. If you could put him, if you could put that kind of player that that Stein was, you know, you're saying a good leader. Um, if you could put him into a, a more modern Celtic team, what centre half would, would he resemble any of the centre halves we'd had we've had over the years? Um, I would say he was probably in. Uh, mm, uh, Yusuf Garen was a better uh, Bobo Baldy was better um, he was certainly Steam would have been better than that guy we had this year from Brighton who I won't mention um, <laughs> but uh, he was uh, a Roddy McDonald of the 1970s is that before your time Andrew? that's before Roddy my time he would have been that sort of a good enough centre half not a classy centre half, but uh, but good enough. I would say I'm trying to think of somebody that would apply maybe in uh, Alan Stubbs. Uh, there you are, Alan Stubbs. Yes, Alan Stubbs was not a classy centre half, but he was he was good enough. He was good enough. Yeah, yeah. Maybe Alan Stubbs would be what we most like. So I'm not going to test them. There's still a few. There's still a few players we didn't touch on, but we will. We will touch them in a future episode if you'll come on, um, David, because it's it's um it's an education it's an education for me and I'm sure it is for the for the listeners and um but uh, how do I finish this up? I'm looking now, I'm looking at names here from yesteryear. Okay, I'll give you one more to finish with. Charlie Tully. Yeah, Charles Patrick Tully, yes. Um Again, a wee bit like Jimmy Johnston, in a way. Definitely a cult hero, no doubt about that. Definitely a cult hero, but not always as consistent as you would like. Uh, but uh, I do love, I mean, it's very significant that in the 7-1 game, uh, that he's, uh, the, the, the songs that do... Uh, uh, single out uh, Charlie Tully and Willie Fernie, but uh, Charlie Tully in particular because he was the he, he was the one that uh, Celtic fans identified with, you know. And he came as a cult hero to Celtic at from Belfast Celtic at the time when Celtic certainly needed a cult hero. When in 1948, when they were really uh, a, a mediocre team who, uh, you know, were close enough to relegation in 1948 from the first division, the time when, when Rangers were doing well and when their big challenges, when Rangers' big challenges were, were actually Hibs in the early 1950s. And Celtic were quite far down, but Charlie Tully was one of the ones who galvanised the fans and who picked the team up. About uh, about Charles Patrick Tully, but I do remember my, the one criticism that my father had consistently of Charlie Tully was there were times when he was in a position uh, to score, but there was somebody else in the penalty box in a better place to score, and Tully would try to shoot himself and score himself rather than pass to the better place um, uh, uh, forward. You know, somebody like Bobby Collins was maybe in a better a better place to uh, to finish the job, but uh, Tully would do it himself and maybe miss or shoot the goalkeeper and things like that. So he maybe wasn't the greatest team player, was uh, Charlie Tully. He was def- very definitely, as far as the fans concerned, he was def- very definitely 
um, a cult hero. And I think it was it's quite significant that immediately before the 7-1 game, there was a fight in uh, in the dressing room before the in two days before it, and uh, the fight was between uh, uh, Charlie Tully and uh, Bobby Evans. And although there were a reason for it in what uh, Tully had written in the newspaper, which implied a criticism of of Evans, that possibly wasn't the real reason for the fight. It was possibly because they were just two different people altogether, and perhaps Evans felt that Tully was just a bit too selfish. Whereas uh, Tully felt he maybe wasn't appreciated by people like Bobby Evans. I don't know. But uh, certainly the meetup, Bertie Peacock, ever the diplomat, uh, made it up. And of course, three days after they had the fight, uh, they ran out and beat Rangers 7 1. And that's the best way to, uh, to uh, answer any. Fair enough. And, and again, we still think of a. Sorry? Again, we still sing of a. Oh yes, indeed. Yes, a pile of piling on the agony, piling on the style. That's what Glasgow Celtic doing all this pile. Oh, we always get, we always get, we learn the song. I'll sing if you want. Yes, go ahead, go ahead, give us a song. Style. That's what Glasgow Celtic have been doing all this while. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven ways to make you smile. Watching Willie Fernie putting on the style. Second verse, exactly the same except you say Charlie Tully. Third verse, exactly the same except you say Bobby Collins. Or whatever. <laughs> Brilliant, David. David, thanks very much. And for our listeners and, and those watching on YouTube, um, we're going to be back with David again. So if you have any if you have any um, any players or eras or seasons or anything you want to talk about, because I, I'd like to, maybe David, if you, if you can refresh your memory on the, on the players that travelled from the Emerald Oil over to play, to play for Celtic. And um, because I'm even thinking of... We could do a special on the little place in Donegal, Guido, where Paddy Querent, Charlie Gallagher, and Aidan McGeady's family are from. That's, that's three players. Yeah, 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 yeah. Our history is so rich and, and so vast and worldwide. So, but yeah, it's just, it's, it's been brilliant. And hopefully we will get you back because we want more knowledge and more. We want to kill an hour with um, the history of our great club. Okay, it's a pleasure. Anytime you want, Andrew. Anytime you want. Thank you very much, David. All right. Okay. Bye. Folks, thanks very much for listening. And if you'd like to support us, you can do so by visiting CelticFanzine.com where you can become a member, subscribe, buy or donate for the price of a point. Don't forget to visit Celtic Fanzine TV on YouTube and hit that subscribe button. And thank you so much for all the support. And thank you for listening and reading. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. 
Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 